It is the, the official shortest bumper video in the history of mankind. Um, it is great. I, I, know, I know they just had you um, be seated, but here in a second, I'm going to have you stand back up just to do a little old school for a moment, if that's all right with you. I uh, also want to let you know that it's actually not too late. Um, it would be hard after this week, but uh, if you are still interested in joining us this Tuesday night um, for the, the kind of class we're doing, the Testimony 101 class, just, just the idea of learning how to share your faith. Uh, last week, we just kind of set the biblical foundation for that and what that's all about, and so we're going to meet again this week. There's only four more meetings total, um, t- three on a Tuesday and one on a Thursday, and so if you'd like to join us, we meet at 630 um, on Tuesday night. We'd love to, love to have you be a part of that. Uh, we can squeeze a few more people in the room, um, but we would love to, love to have you, so I'm excited about that. I'm going to ask you to do something a little old school. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you would, with me. We're going to Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Paul writes this, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, to become like him in his death and somehow, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, are you there? (laughs) Perfect timing. No. Hey, the last two weeks, we've, we've taken a look back at our school days, and I know for some of you, it did bring back some memories. I know the pictures from last week and some of those things that we use in our school days definitely brought back some memories for sure for me. Um, that fear and ex- anxiety of going back to school, I never understood why I had that every single year, but I did. The lessons that we learned along the way, and then how those events relate to our journey with Christ, because they certainly do. The fear that can be associated with coming to Jesus for that first time. The fear that as being a part of Jesus, we're not good enough. That God will not be able to forgive us. The fear that that something God asks us to do, we're just not comfortable with. It's something that might make us uncomfortable. The lessons that God has taught us throughout life. Lessons that so many times didn't make any sense at all in the moment. But then as time went on, we gradually began to understand and things became clear. You see, coming to the point of belief in Jesus is a journey. Now, for some of you, it was a very short journey because maybe you grew up in the church or maybe it was a one-time encounter with the risen Savior that changed your story. But your story and how your journey unfolded, how that happened and how you were led to Christ, man, that is, it is crucial to who you are, and that's what we're talking about in that class on a Tuesday night. But that is only the beginning of the journey. It's just starting. Our lives then begin to follow this new path, one that leads us to the final destination, ultimately our eternity, with our Lord and Savior. And what is so awesome is the road between that moment and when He takes us home could take us anywhere. And some of you have incredible stories to share of everything that God has done in your life between that moment when you accepted him in this time right now and how he's using you in this moment. Each event that challenged us to grow, to love, maybe to die just a little bit more 
to our selfish nature. Every moment that we realize, oh my goodness, I've just fallen short. The good that we realize we could have done and we didn't, we failed. Do we live in regret or do we press on to that next opportunity that we know God will provide for us? What are our eyes fixed on? Now, obviously, anytime you say that in a message, you've got to go and remind ourselves of that passage from the author of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. The author, now the the Greek word there has many meanings, the author, the leader, the creator, the prince, the perfecter, like maybe your version says of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppression from sinners so that you and I will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you hear our motivation is why we cannot become discouraged? Why we cannot grow weary, why we cannot lose heart, we consider Jesus and his suffering, and that is our motivation. Us as believers in Christ, so many of us, we forget the first part of that verse. God has already forgiven us. He's already taken all of our sins, all of our burdens away, but we, in turn, like to hold on to them and keep this dead corpse strapped to our back and carry it with us through every single day of our life. And then we complain about this burden of our life. And this passage reminds us, throw it off. Get rid of it. Do not carry. I have relieved you of this. Do not keep it with you any longer. Church, we've got to do that. We can't let the burden of anything, personal or church or anything else, let us be not focused on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to today's message. In school, what did you have to look forward to? Now, I know for some of you, you're like, (laughs) not much. (laughs) I understand that completely. For many people, school is very, very challenging. There might have been a moment where you thought, I'm never going to get through this. There even might have been a moment in situations in some people's lives that literally prevented them from even graduating. That is a reality. School was and is hard for many students today. The reasons today might be slightly different, but it still can be a challenge. And I'm going to be very honest with you as a parent myself. If our hope for our kids is in their education, if our hope for our kids is in their profession, if our hope for our kids is in their sport or other activities that they're involved in, then you and I need to reevaluate where we're setting the example that we're setting for our kids. Because our hope should be in Jesus Christ alone. Alone. And my wife told me I needed to post this on social media when she proofread everything. We want our kids to succeed in everything that they do, don't we, parents? We take such pride and such joy when our kids accomplish the most meaningless task, don't we? We just do. And that's great. We want worldly success for them. But if that worldly success is preventing them from being, ex- from being exposed and experiencing the love of Jesus, then we parents must change course. Think back to our school days once again. What were the milestones in your life? What were those? The things that you looked most forward to. Was it finally getting out of elementary school or maybe just even a certain teacher's class? Was it finally getting done with middle school, modern era? There's a lot of people that would say that. 
Was it getting to finally choose your classes, have a little more freedom throughout the day? Was it getting your driver's license? How many of you remember getting your driver's license? Be honest. I personally was there the second that the license branch, as it used to have been called, the the second it was opened, the very first day that I could be there to get my license. First in line, first to take the test, first to get the piece of plastic and go on my merry way. Do you know that's not the case anymore? Kids don't do that. They, They do not. They wait months, years. Some students never get their driver's license. I'm speaking to men. Men, could you imagine that? Like, that was like, I, when will I ever be 16? I mean, it, 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 they don't even care. It's like no big deal. I don't even understand that in my world. Like, it's just so weird. Maybe it was getting to go to prom or just getting the invite to prom. Maybe that's what you were longing for in high school. Maybe it was the chance as you advanced in your coursework to finally get to take one of those classes that was actually useful. That practical, hands-on class where you finally thought in your mind you got to learn something that you would still maybe use to this very day and get out of the traditional book and classroom setting. All of these things were setting you up ultimately for one thing, right? Graduation. Do you remember that? What year of high school did you really start to think about graduation? For me, every year was the anticipation of finishing that year so I could get on to the next year, and graduation was always right there, like it's almost there. Every year, just a little bit closer. What part of high school did you dwell on? Today, I feel like some of the anticipation for graduation has been taken away. Now, not everybody's experienced this, I understand. But a lot of students these days, they have a preschool graduation, don't they? And then they have a kindergarten graduation, don't they? And then they have an elementary school graduation, right? And then some even have a middle school graduation, right? By the time you get to high school, who cares? Like, what's the, uh, I'm done, whoop-de-doo, I'm done with another. And then you go to college, maybe, and you, and you have a college graduation, and then maybe a graduate school graduation. I mean, it just kind of keeps going and going. And some of that special nature of it, I think we've lost in our culture today, haven't we? Now, the one good part is it does give you something else to do. You, you can always achieve more in the educational world, and there's nothing wrong with that. I actually kind of enjoy it. It's kind of fun. But do you remember the excitement of your senior year? Looking forward to graduation, to the next phase of life. How did that year go for you as an adult? Some of you, I'm guessing, I know a few personalities in the room. Some of you were probably really, really competitive that senior year. And you were working on that GPA to try to achieve that maybe very top mark. I don't know if we have any valedictorians, but maybe we do. Or just achieve that class rank that you needed for whatever reason. Some of us, we're just working to finally try to pass that one class that we had to pass in order to graduate. That's okay, too. You got it done. Did anyone here have a case of senioritis? Yeah, I was talking to some seniors just the other day. (laughs) They're struggling (laughs) really bad right now. They're seniors in college, but it's a whole other, they just aren't motivated because that's just the reality. You're almost done. Minimal effort is needed at this point. I know for some of you, that probably started when you were a freshman, right? Don't lie. You know, it's okay. You lose a bit of motivation since you're so close in. I get that, especially if you've already completed all the requirements for graduation, right? You're just there. That's pretty much all that you're doing. And then there was the day, the moment of graduation. Now, I, I, I challenge you to think about your day and remember what it was like for you. Everybody's different generations and, and things like that in a room like this. For me... It was a pretty emotional day. Shocking, right? 
I got to play a role in that ceremony. Uh, my role was very simply, I had a very simple, easy job to do. Uh, I got to say the closing prayer of graduation. That was, well, yes, we could pray during graduation then. And so I got to say the closing prayer in graduation. And so I would love to tell you that my 30-second prayer went off without a hitch. Great, graduation over, send everybody home. That was great. But I would be lying to you if I said that. I am very thankful to my knowledge. There is absolutely no video evidence of our graduation. I'm very thankful for that. Um, because I literally brought the house down to tears at the end of graduation. Uh, it was difficult to make it through it. I had several people after the ceremony come up and tell me, you know, I didn't cry at all the whole time as their kid walked across the stage or anything else until you got on stage. So thank you. Appreciate that. I don't know if that's a good effect um, to have on people or not. The reality is this. I've come to live with it. I am an emotional guy. God made me this way. I've come to accept it. It's just how my life is. But what the crowd didn't know that day was that there was other things going on behind the scenes in my life. You see, myself and a certain someone else was going to also have an emotional day later on. You see, I went to graduation that morning with a little box in my pocket. And a good friend of mine who happened to be on stage with me and a planned, well-devised well, pl well plan to call certain someone up to the stage and then ask for her hand in marriage on the stage at graduation. However, God thankfully decided for me not to do that, which worked out just fine because, of course, we left graduation and went to our open house, which was, of course, together at our church, and we snuck in the sanctuary entrance, of course, where there's no one that way, and I decided to get to propose to her in the sanctuary where we were ultimately married before going downstairs to our open house. For some reason, Kristen did not get all of the usual open house questions that morning. I don't, or that afternoon, I don't know why. Um, why, why those questions deviated for, the, the cap and gown seemed to be lost with the ring. I don't know exactly why things were different. There were only five people that knew that was going to happen that day. Myself, my parents, and her parents. No one else knew. I was very good at keeping those things a secret. But when you talk about graduation in the life of a believer, what does that look like? What does that mean? Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For, to me, for, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what will I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. See, there's this reality that a lot of believers just, just don't understand. I know I wasn't taught this as a kid. The reality is this. When we accept Christ, our eternity begins in that moment with him. Right in that very moment. We are filled with with the Spirit of God. We are a new creation, raised to walk a new life in Him, a life that will literally never end, a life that one day will be continued in His physical presence. But is that how we believers live day-to-day -day life? I, I like to think of it this way. I'm notorious for this. I was this way as a kid. Whenever something exciting is about to happen, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. When I was a kid and we were getting ready to go on vacation, or the night before Christmas, 
or whatever, fill in the blank with whatever might have been exciting. I couldn't go to sleep. Now, age has given me the ability to go to sleep just a little bit better. I, I hear that goes away later on in life. I'm hoping that's not the case because um, I really enjoy getting to go to sleep now. But the same thing happens today when the family's getting ready to go on vacation or even before Christmas, especially when there's a big surprise awaiting on the other side. I can't wait to see the reaction. I can't wait to spend that time with those people. I don't know if any of you share that emotion with me and that inability because you're so excited. Why don't we feel that way about heaven? Why don't we get excited about being in the presence of our God in an absolutely, completely perfect world? No pain, no suffering, no tears, no sorrows, no regrets. The world literally that God created us for. Now, we're not going to go into a lengthy description of heaven, but I think that is part of the reason why believers don't look forward to it as much as we should, simply for time reasons. But the reality is this. A lot of believers and non-believers alike think if there is a heaven, it's going to be really boring. Well, if that is truly someone's opinion, then I can honestly tell you they do not know our God. Because what he has in store for us is so much greater than anything on this planet that we can't even imagine what it will be. No eye has seen no ear is heard. There's no way for us to fathom what's coming. Now, of course, there's the opposite side. There's a lot of people like, well, heaven's boring. I would rather go to hell because it's going to be this big party filled with sin and debauchery and every other form of depravity, which to them sounds fun. They're sadly, tragically mistaken in their thinking. The reality is hell will be a place void of God himself. There will be nothing good allowed to exist there, period. A place of eternal suffering. Yet another reason why aren't we excited about going to heaven? Why are we not seeking every single opportunity we can in our lives to share salvation with others? I think maybe a lot of believers have a really bad case of senioritis. And that might be our indifference that we have toward our lives here and even toward our eternal destination. Because, you know, the reality is, I don't care how old you are, you're almost done. This life is a vapor. It doesn't matter your age, whether you're sensing that vapor beginning to fade or you're in the middle of your prime of life. This life is a vapor. That was Jesus' brother James that reminded us of that. So at this point, truly minimal effort is really needed to finish the school year, if you will. <laughs> For some, that might have started when you were a freshman, when you first believed. Maybe you thought that was all that you had to do. Maybe no one shared with you all that Christ did for you in such a way that his love compels you to then love others in that same way. For some, to be honest, maybe you've just lost your motivation. Maybe the end is nearer. That's reality. I get that. Your race is almost won, right? I understand especially if you've met all the requirements for graduation. Maybe the difficulties of life have caught up with you. I cannot tell you how many veteran Christians I've talked to that will say things like this. You know, I just can't do that anymore. It's time for the younger generation to step up and do it. It's time for them to rise up and fill in that need. And, and I would tell you this, you're absolutely right. And you're absolutely wrong at the same exact time. It all depends on what the it you're speaking about is. If the it is taking care of junior high students, then maybe that time has passed you by. 
and newer, younger folks need to bring into that ministry? Yes. If that it is traveling to a third world country to plant a church and build a church, maybe that specific physical ability has passed you by. And it is time for younger folks to take over. That is true. But do not tell me there is nothing that you can do for the kingdom of God. When someone asks, tells me things like that, I'll just ask a very simple question. Hey, uh, are you alive and breathing? And if they answer me, then I'm going to assume that even if they say no, that, that they are in, in reality. Even if it's barely. Even if it's barely. Because there's, if there's breath in your lungs, you can serve the King of kings and Lord of lords in a new way. We just have to make ourselves available to him until the day he calls us home. Our life here is no longer our own. We have to continually, daily offer it up to him and ask, God, how can you use me today? It might be in the simplest of ways, but make ourselves available to him at all times. Church, every day that we're blessed with, every day that we wake up and give him thanks should be the first thing you do when you open your eyes in the morning. God, <laughs> it's another day. I can't believe it. You've given me another day here. The next thing, God, give me a chance to show someone your love today. In some way, shape, or form, just give me a chance. Consider what Jesus did for you as you're getting ready in the morning and allow his spirit to work within you. When we allow that love that he showed us, even while we were still sinners, to compel us to love others, how would our lives change? How would the day-to-day -day interactions with other people be different? How would that change the way that we approach even our own family and our children if this is the way we began every single new day? Have you ever heard the old description? You don't hear it much anymore. Someone's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good any longer. I remember hearing that growing up as a kid, and I've begun to understand it now a little bit deeper. That was often used to describe either someone that was so fixated on eternity, on heaven, that they had no concern for this earthly life, which unfortunately sometimes would lead them to have no concern even for those that do not know Jesus yet. Or those that are simply literally waiting out the rest of this life in order to get to the next. Now I contend that if you are truly a believer of Christ and you understand what he did for you, then that idea is ludicrous. It's not possible. If you have an understanding of heaven and the price that was paid in order for you to spend eternity with him, then it would be a complete waste of your life to stand in line waiting to get in. Your ticket's already been punched. But we have so many tickets to hand out to others, don't we? We don't want to waste that. Today we're going to look at the life of a man who did not know Jesus for very long. Maximum time frame of three years that this man knew Jesus. His name was Stephen. We're introduced to him in Acts chapter 6. Luke tells us that Stephen was a Hellenist, a foreign-born Jew who spoke Greek. Currently, he lived in Jerusalem and had become a Christian. We don't know this, but it's quite possible he became a Christian on the day of Pentecost. His story begins as it is revealed that the church has neglected a group of widows. Food was not being distributed to all of the widows in a fair manner. As a matter of fact, there was an entire group of them that was not getting treated well, the Hellenistic Greek widows. They were being overlooked. 
Now, scholars will look at this and tell you that that was probably some early discrimination within the church. Yes, the very first church already discriminating about, against people that weren't just like them from Jerusalem. Shocking how humans do things, isn't it? Nothing has changed. The church had just started, literally just started. And this could have been enough to divide that early church at its origin. But the disciples, the apostles, God had given them, Jesus had implanted in them some knowledge and some foresight and some wisdom that is often lacking even in the church today. Instead of throwing a fit and causing a commotion, they said, okay, let's handle this. Now, we can't do it because God has charged us with doing these things for the church. They are supposed to be committed to prayer and literally the scriptural ministry of the church, and that cannot be distracted. And so they decided to have those from that population appoint people, appoint men of God who fit the mold. These, the apostles then, these seven men, the apostles ordained as the very first deacons, the first time that's mentioned in Scripture. Their first role, their main role listed in all of Scripture was to take care of the widows. Their second to love the church as a whole. Among those seven men was a man named Stephen. He's described this way, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So obviously he stood out. He had made an impression on someone since coming to Jesus. Now the way Luke writes this in Acts 6-7, it seems like everything unfolded very, very quickly thereafter. We don't have an exact time frame, but it seems to be very quickly. The church is expanded rapidly. Even large number of priests became obedient to Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine those men's testimony? Jewish priests being converted to Jesus is all that they know, and now they've given their heart to Christ. Can you imagine their witness to others? If you can't, then what comes next probably should help you understand about how powerful their testimony must have been because of the resistance that it faced. It says this in verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Yes, the disciples had ordained him, and now he's out not just spreading the gospel, he's actually performing miracles. A Greek, Hellenistic Jew who became a Christian has now been ordained and is performing miracles in the name of Christ. You realize how strange this would have been in Jewish culture for this to happen. Since becoming a Christian, Stephen is focused on one thing, the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus now sent him on a mission to seek and save the lost, to share with whoever on earth will listen to him. In the church today, we would call him a person on fire for Jesus, literally. However, opposition arose, as it often will in the church, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, in verse 9. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But here's the thing, they couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit was giving him as he spoke. Did you know that exact same thing will happen today quite often? If a person or a church responds to the gospel of Jesus in the way in which we should, if we rise up and we let the Spirit of God move us, guess what? We're going to face opposition. It might be from without, just like in the case of Stephen. People saying things about us, trying to stop us, worldly obstacles that just seem to get, be, keep getting placed in our way that we have to allow on Christ to help us overcome. But... The reality is this, the resistance, the challenge, could definitely come from within. The initial movement is not uncommon for those in the church to recommit to Christ and realize the focus has been wrong. 
And Christ is now compelling them into action. It's not uncommon when that begins to occur in a church for people to walk away because they don't want to be a part of that movement. As we shared a couple weeks ago, it might be the fear, literally the fear of what God might be requiring of them. They might even go so far as to say, I feel like I'm losing control of my life. Yeah, (laughs) you are. And you're giving control to the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of people that do not trust the Spirit of God in their life. The very Spirit that God has given us to guide us, to direct us, to empower us, to convict us. Church, if you know people like that, that just feel like, I don't know if these challenges that are being thrown down are for me, I don't know if I can succumb to them, assure them they can't, they're right. (laughs) But he can. Next week is the perfect time to speak to those people and invite them back into this place and see what God is doing in your life and in this place. Back to Stephen, chapter 6, verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. The Jewish ruling body, many of which probably would have been similar people to those who Jesus was taken before. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place or against the law. And we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses has handed down. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw his face was that of an angel. (laughs) Lies. Lies. Lies are literally what killed Stephen. Lies are ultimately what brought about the death of our Savior, Jesus. Lies can destroy a family. Lies can destroy a marriage. Lies about God's people. Lies about the leaders of a church or even the church itself can destroy the church's witness for a short period of time until those people are convicted of their sin and repent. We've got to rise above the lies, just like Stephen did. When they looked at him, they didn't even see him. They saw his face was something unlike they'd ever seen, the face of an angel. Now, I know that could never, ever happen to me. (laughs) Maybe you fit the profile, and people could look at your face and see that of an angel, but not coming from here. People must see something else in us. They have got to see the good that was just oozing out of us. They have to witness and maybe even experience the love of Christ flowing through us toward them, even those that are spreading the lies. For even every lie they spread, there needs to be a truth that screams the love of God right back at them. Because here's the reality. Will any of us, will you or I ever be perfect? Not in this lifetime. Will people be able to find and expose our flaws and weaknesses? absolutely and what do we get to do we get to rely on the grace and the mercy and the righteousness of god to overcome every single deficit that we have praise god for that chapter 7 verse 1 the high priest asked stephen are these charges true i give chance to stephen to respond now that was a big mistake on their behalf giving chance to stephen to respond because he goes into a lengthy long historical lecture for them A summed up version of the entire history of the Jewish people from Abraham to Moses to David to Solomon to the exile in Babylon 
the Messiah himself. Those going after Stephen were frustrated with his arguments. Why? Because his arguments made sense. <laughs> it's recorded in Scripture that people were listening, and the Spirit was beginning to move in those people, and they were starting to believe what Stephen was telling them, that this whole Messiah thing was true. And that was not going to work in that context. So, of course, just like Jesus, the charge of blasphemy was brought out against Stephen. Listen to his final arguments. It's from verse 44 is where it begins. Our ancestors had the tabernacles of the covenant of the law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the patterns they had seen. After receiving the tabernacles, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them, and they took it. They took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might build a dwelling place for God and Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High God does not live in houses made by human hands. Uh Uh-oh. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will be my resting place? Has not my hand made all of these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him as well. You have received the law and that was given through you through the angels, but you have not obeyed it. Not exactly the things maybe you would want to say before your judge and jury on that day. Stephen just let it go. He was confronted with his faith, and yet he had no fear of what might lie ahead. He was well-schooled. He told them exactly who Jesus is and what he had done. And now Stephen was ready to graduate. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't at the height of his brilliant career, but instead just As it was starting, what on earth would inspire a man to do that kind of thing? I ask you, what would inspire you to do that kind of thing? Now, the end of his story seems very, very sad to an outsider or to someone who is not all in for Jesus. To the person that has not completely surrendered their life to him, this ending is tragic at best. In verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. Hmm. But then Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their eyes and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They covered their eyes and yelled at the top of their voice. What does that sound like? A what? This very young child, not hearing what they wanted to hear, throwing a fit. Yeah, welcome to humanity. These are the leaders of the Jewish people. Hmm. Hmm. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid at their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll talk a lot more about him starting next week. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell 
asleep. Personal. When was the last time someone offended you? Someone lied about you? Someone was trying to cause controversy around you? And your prayer was, Lord, don't hold that against them. Consider Stephen's witness there. Stephen became the first Christian martyr that day that we know of. How on earth could that help the church? A man of God who had just been brought up, had just been empowered, had just been ordained, had just begun leading this ministry to the widows. So many people coming to the Christ literally as a result of his example and his efforts. How could God allow such a thing to happen to this man? That's a great question. First of all, know why it happened. It happened because of evil, pure and simple evil, the evil of mankind. Man decided unfairly and unjustly to execute an innocent man. Why? To protect their power and their influence. And people will do the same today. People that are offended or upset will intentionally cause harm to others or other organizations because they are the ones offended. And that's evil. It's no different. God took this witness of this man to do something that Stephen could have never done. If Stephen had tried with all his might to convert everyone in all of Jerusalem and persuade the other believers in all of Jerusalem to go into the ends of the earth and spread the word, he would have failed miserably. Because this was around three years after the resurrection. This was around three years after the day of Pentecost. First Christians from all over the world were baptized on that day. And where were all the Christians? They were in Jerusalem. Where was Stephen? Was he from Jerusalem? No. They were all still there, hanging out together they hadn't gone out to spread the word so the next passage on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout judea and samaria i will be be with you always even to the ends of the earth right i'm going to send you out first to jerusalem then judea then samaria and then to the ends of the earth Uh uh-oh God's plan is beginning. Godly men bury Stephen and mourn deeply for him. (laughs) Stephen could have never kicked all the Christians out of church to go and spread the gospel. But God used the occasion of Stephen's witness and the fear associated with it to scatter Christians across the entire known world. Church, each Sunday we get together. We get the privilege of being empowered, revitalized, to build the community of God, to express the love for each other, that will draw other people into a body of believers to experience that same love. But every Sunday, we got to leave this place empowered, not defeated. we got to leave this place on fire for Christ, loaded up with love for others that will literally blow their minds because they will not understand how you and I could love them when we don't even know them in some cases. And that love will ultimately bring them into the body of Christ and the faith in Jesus most importantly. It's time to stop waiting to graduate, to stop waiting to get to heaven, and instead realize that you're already living in eternity right now. And we're surrounded by people that do not know the love of Jesus yet. What are we waiting for? As I said, next Sunday, God put all this planning together months and months and months ago. Next Sunday, for next Sunday to be the Sunday that we've gone out and we've reached out to those that maybe haven't been to church ever, but some that just haven't been in a long time. So we can remind them the importance of Christ in their life. Don't miss that challenge this Sunday. Father God, we're so grateful for the man Stephen. 
Father, what he endured for you, incredible. The witness that he set, we can't duplicate. But Father, we can be inspired. We can be inspired to go out and to live godly lives in such a way. Not perfect lives. People will always be able to find flaws with us. There's nothing we can do about that. But in spite of their efforts, we're still going to love them. And we're going to care about them. And we're going to keep sharing the love of Christ with them in hopes that one day they'll realize that they have flaws too. And that you can overcome those flaws just like you have in each and every one of our lives that have accepted you. Father, we do long for the day that we get to spend eternity in your physical presence. I hope we are excited for that. And if there's people here today that have not committed to that yet, that, that don't know for sure whether they're going to spend eternity forever with you, I pray today is the day that they seal that fate. And they can join you in this beginning of a journey to eternity with you. And Father, if there's those that have just lost their way, they've been discouraged, to feel lost in this world, to feel that they don't have a place even maybe within the church or a way to serve or a way to show their love for you, I pray that they're willing to meet with us. Pray with us. Allow your spirit to guide and direct them. Father, our worldly graduations were special things for sure. But they pale in comparison to that ultimate day. 